Now, I'm going to keep preaching this week on this message called World Changers, the series. It was about that Jesus had part of the plan of salvation that he had to do that only he could do. Like he was the only one that could go to the cross and die for us because he was going to live a perfect life where we could not. Now, how many of you are glad that Jesus was perfect for you so you didn't have to be perfect? Say amen. 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 But did you ever realize that, yes, there were things that he needed to accomplish individually and personally, but he chose to walk out his earthly ministry with a team? They were called disciples. He had a group that he ran with. And so here at CityGate, we believe that we are a team that God's kind of put together to walk in fellowship and in faith with. That just like this previous week where people are going through the challenging moments of their life, that we can walk alongside of them, that they never have to walk alone. Yes, we know God is with them. But we're the people that God used this week to be his reflection. And that means that we have a team. And I'm going to talk, last week I started out by talking about one of his team members named Peter. And Peter was this guy, he was very emotional. A lot of times he would speak before he thought. He never could hardly back up what he was saying. But you know what? He was passionate and he was passionately in love with Jesus. And he was a fisherman by trade and he had some issues. And even in the midst of failure, he even denied that he knew Jesus three times before Jesus was crucified. But even after all of that, when Jesus resurrected, he told the ladies in the cemetery, he said, go tell my disciples and Peter, I haven't changed my mind about him. He's still going to be a fisher of men. He's still going to preach the day of Pentecost. He's still going to be personally responsible for bringing thousands of people to the knowledge of Christ. He's a team member and I haven't changed my mind about him. He's famous. We know Peter, James, and John, but today I'm going to talk about Peter's brother named Andrew. See, Andrew's not quite as famous. Andrew's only listed, he only has nine verses accredited to him in the entire New Testament that that is not just a list of all of the apostles. Andrew's kind of this regular guy. His name means manly. So it isn't that he, you know, you don't, you know, ladies, I'm not going to pretend to have any idea what it's like to be challenged with childbirth, but you don't name a baby manly when he's six pounds. (laughs) You know, he's probably like in the 10 pound range, like, oh my goodness, he was, he was born grown. We're going to call him Andrew, which means manly. And you know what? He lived up to his reputation. See, a lot of times when you think of fishermen, you think of people like myself that take a rod and a reel and we go out there on our boat and we're just enjoying it. And, you know, when it gets hot, we just go over to the Yeti cooler and we get in there and get a Gatorade and and, and a snack. Most of the time, my snacks are associated uh, with Little Debbie. And, (laughs) yeah, (laughs) you don't get this way by accident. (laughs) And that reminds me, if you're a connector... You wear one of these shirts every single week. We need you in the body. Because that was Andrew's claim to fame. He connected people to Jesus. It may not have been thousands at a time, but he knew the value of one soul. And what could happen with the transformation of one soul. 
See, but it's not that guy that fishes that got the Yeti cooler. A fisherman, he, when you're in fishing for a living, you can't choose to only go out when it's not raining. When the weather's bad, you have to still go out or you don't eat. You can't wait until the waves are low. you got to go out there even when it's rough. And a commercial fisherman, especially associated with nets, is always pulling those nets in. It's a dirty job. It's a hard job. And that was Andrew. He was that guy. And I'm going to guess that he's a lot like you, and he's a lot like me. So with that said, let's bow our heads one more time as we are about to preach about Andrew the Connector. Father, I ask you for the anointing of the Holy Spirit that allows the people of God to hear through the authority and the power of your word. God, you know the challenges to my thought process today of all the things that are going on and swirling around in my head. I ask you for an anointing that sets that aside for a moment and allows me to be your mouthpiece, your spokesman today. That, Father, that we can connect people to Jesus just like Andrew. And we can see lives, our city, our, maybe even our nation or our world changed because of one connection. And I give you the praise, honor, and glory in Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. Now, Andrew was not just a fisherman. See, most fishing of that day happened at night. It happened when the fish couldn't see the net. And so he would fish all day And you would think that he would, or fish all night, and you would think that he would sleep all day, but not Andrew. See, Andrew was always looking for the spiritual purposes of his life. He was concerned about spirituality. So he found this guy named John the Baptist, which was the cousin of Jesus. And he was hopeful that he was the one that had been promised. And so he become a disciple or a follower of John the Baptist. Now, John the Baptist was a little weird. I'm going to be honest with you. He was that guy that was kind of like the outdoors guy on steroids. You know, when he was talking about dinner, he wasn't talking about going to bonefish. He was talking about eating locusts. Dessert was honey found in the wilderness. It was this guy, he was probably pretty much unkept. He didn't dress right. He didn't dress in fine linens or robes. He dressed in camel fur. He was kind of probably had this big old long beard. He preached as if the last day of the world was that day. And so the religious leaders of the day decide they're going to go out and find out who this John the Baptist is. And so they go out there and they tell him, who are you? Are you the Messiah? (coughs) He said, no, I'm not the Messiah. And they went, man, you just don't look like you're the Messiah, the Christ, the chosen one. You know, not that we need to, not that we're judging John, but man, thank goodness, you know. Are you a, a, are you a prophet like Elijah? No. Then who are you? And what gives you the, the authority to baptize people? He said, well, let's start with the first question first. Who I am? I'm a voice in the wilderness that's crying out. I am here to make straight the way for the one that's coming after me. 
I'm here to proclaim not for my own glory, but to his glory, because I'm not even worthy to tie his shoes. And then about the baptism, and this is where Andrew's ears probably perk up. He said, there's one among you now that I baptize with water, but there's one coming after me that is going to baptize in the Holy Spirit. Can somebody say amen? Amen. So Andrew's all excited about this. He's like, oh my goodness. He's, John is writing about this event because him and Andrew were hanging out and they were the disciples of John the Baptist. And it doesn't take very long to get the next piece of the puzzle. Listen to what the Bible says happened next. Found in John 1, 35 through 40. It says, on the next day, look at your neighbor and say the next day. Again. That's okay. That's all you needed to say. Just the next day. I'm just going to keep reading. (laughs) I messed us all up. (laughs) Everybody in their living room, we're thankful that you're online with us today. Everybody in their living room said, there's still an echo. Listen, you know, there's not. (laughs) The next day, again, John was standing with two of his disciples being John and Andrew. And he looked at Jesus as he walked by and said, behold, the lamb of God. And the two disciples heard him say this, and they followed Jesus. And Jesus turned and saw them following and said to them, what are you seeking? And they said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? And he said to them, come and you will see. So they came and saw where he was staying and they stayed with him that day for it was about the 10th hour. And one of the two who heard John speak and followed Jesus was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. See, Andrew is going to be kind of the guy in the background. His brother is going to get all of the press. Even in this scripture, it says he was Simon Peter's brother. Now, you have to understand, Simon or Andrew is waiting to find out who this Messiah is, this Christ, the promised one, the anointed one that had been promised by Old Testament prophets to the nation of Israel. And John looks at Jesus and says, behold, the Lamb of God, literally saying, there he is. That's the one I told you about yesterday. He's the Messiah. Now, you got to figure this doesn't start out good for Andrew and John. How would you like it? You're just walking, Jesus. You know, you're walking down the side of the Jordan River. Guy looks kind of crazy from the wilderness, says, there he is. He's the one. Now you've got, you're walking and two guys are following you. You walk, they walk. You stop, they stop. You're like, man, creepers back there. What's going on? So have you ever noticed in Scripture that Jesus just gets straight to the point? He just looks at them and says, what are y'all guys looking for? They basically say, I think we're looking for you. Where are you staying? We're inviting ourselves. He said, come on, man, come with me. And they say all day. You know what the first thing that, that Andrew does after spending a day with Jesus? He goes and tells his brother, the guy he loves, Peter, we found him. We found the Messiah. Yeah, sure. No, really. I know he's been promised for centuries. 
But I was with John the Baptist. You know, we've seen what he's been doing. And he literally told the Pharisees and the scribes and the Sadducees that the one that there's one among us right now. And then Jesus the very next day walked by and he said, that's the one, that's him. Behold the Lamb of God. Come on, Peter, let me take you. He wasn't taking Peter because Peter was going to be famous. He was taking Peter because he had found a treasure and he wanted to share it with somebody that he loved. So, can you imagine, you can't say no when you think you have met the Messiah. The Bible doesn't, you know, my imagination runs away sometimes when the Bible doesn't give us details. I'm thinking Peter's like, okay, Andrew, I'll meet him when, when, when we see him. And he's like, no, 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 you've got to come right now. You've got to put the nets down. We're not fishing till tonight. Come on, let's go find him right now. He leads him to Jesus. It's the first person he ever connects to Jesus. Andrew is the very first disciple. And he's not going to be the famous ones. See, that's important because we think, you know that most pastors uh, relate more to Andrew than to Peter? You say, what are you talking about, Pastor? You preach just like Peter did on the day of Pentecost. Yeah, but you know what? Most of the time, the Peter, James, and John, I'm going to write a book called Peter, James, and John and the Rest of Us. <laughs> it's, yeah, it's going to be pretty good, I think. Because Peter, James, and John are T.D. Jakes, Francis Chan, Stephen Furtick, Matt Chandler. These guys that pastor 10, 20, 25,000 people. They're on YouTube. They're on TV. You know them. They're famous. They're the Peter, James, and John. I'm more like Andrew. I'm the guy that's just happy being who I am, connecting people with Jesus one soul at a time. Because there's not, you never read anywhere in Scripture where Andrew's jealous of Peter, James, and John. He's just good in his own skin. He's just comfortable because you know what? I get the privilege and the benefit of pastoring a pretty large church. But you know there's men and women today that have faithfully pastored less than 100 people. You know the average congregational size in America is 75 and there's men and women that have preached for 40, 50, and 60 years, given their life to the ministry, been faithful, and their congregation has never achieved even hitting the plateau of 150. Let me be the first one to tell you and to articulate this, especially into that camera right there, just in case one of those pastors listened to this message this week. You are not less than Stephen Furtick, T.D. Jakes, or Matt Chandler. It is not has anything to do with whether you are better or less than. It has to do with your assignment. And be comfortable in your assignment because there's great things that can happen when you keep connecting people one soul at a time. You may never grace the, the platform at a, at a conference of 10,000 people. But next Sunday when you grace the platform of your own church, go knowing that the next Billy Graham could be sitting in your congregation. See, Andrew's whole claim to fame is connecting people to Jesus. That's it. 
That's what he's going to become famous for. He does it in multiple times in scripture. There's one guy named Philip. He has these Greek guys that come in John chapter 12 and they say, hey, we want to meet Jesus. We hear you're one of his disciples. And he says, I, I don't really know if Jesus wants to meet you. You're Greek. We're Jewish. I don't know if this is the right time. I don't know if he's busy. Let me get somebody that will know. You know who he gets? Andrew. Andrew, there's people that want to get connected to Jesus. I don't know if Jesus is too busy. Do you think we're allowed to bring Greeks to Jesus? Andrew handles it and says, yeah, come on. Come on, come with me. Let's go meet Jesus. Changes people's lives. Here's another time. There was another time where Andrew was a part of the disciples and Jesus was preaching. And in this occasion, he was preaching to 5,000 men, not counting the women and children. So we're going to estimate the crowd somewhere between 12 and 15,000. He wants to teach his disciples a lesson. So he tells Philip again, he's the guy that's kind of keeping track of the accounting system. He's the Jerry Moore of Citygate. <laughs> Jerry will appreciate that. He's up in the sound booth. And he says, Philip, how much money do we have? And I'm thinking about feeding everybody. Now think about the numbers guy for a second. Let's get off Andrew for just a second. Let me chase one rabbit today. He counts everything up. There's 200 denarii. That's enough for about three people to eat. And he's like, Master I don't know how to put this. We're broke. And you're thinking about feeding all of these people? Think again, brother. <laughs> I'm with you even unto death, but if you promise these people food with 200 denarii, we're all going to die today. Up steps Andrew. He said, I got somebody that wants to meet you, I think. I got a kid in the crowd. He has a lunch. He's got a few loaves and a few fish, and Jesus says, bring him to me. And here goes Andrew finding what he hopes is going to become the miracle. He grabs the little boy that his mother has, has made the sack lunch for. And the Bible, again, doesn't give us the details, but I'm sure that when he met Jesus, that Andrew comes and says, hey, I know you may not understand this right now. He's the Messiah. He's king of kings and lord of lords. He's the one that your mom told you about. He's the one your daddy prays about all the time. He's the one that, that has been promised for generations and you are now meeting him. And Jesus goes, hey man, how's it going? Everything okay? You doing all right? I hear your mom made you a lunch. Would you mind sharing today? Somehow the little boy knows no, I don't mind sharing. And he watches as the king of kings and the Lord of lords prays over a sack lunch and starts to break loaves of bread until every man, woman, and child is filled to capacity. And they're taking up baskets of fragments that are left over out of the bag. You're talking about changing somebody's life. How'd you like to be the little kid that went home? Mom, you won't ever believe it. You remember what you put in my bag? Dude named Jesus. <laughs> Andrew told me he's the Messiah. Yeah, Andrew, the fisherman. He told me he's the Messiah. And you know what, Mom? He is. 
fed everybody. And there were scraps left over. But let's go back to this Peter. He meets Jesus for the very, he drags him, finally gets him to Jesus on the first occasion. It wasn't when he, when he left the boat. This guy, literally, he says, Simon, we found him. He takes him to Jesus and he goes, Jesus, Messiah, King of kings, Lord of lords, the promised one, the anointed one. Meet Simon. Jesus don't even bat an eye. He looks dead at Simon and says, I know your mom and dad called you Simon. I'm going to call you Peter from now on. Yeah, I know it means rock, foundation, stable, and you're none of those. Aren't we glad that Jesus calls us things that we can become through his transformation than what we presently are? <laughs> I know I am. And then that's it. That's the end of the meeting. So now a few days later, Peter, Andrew, James, and John, they're kind of loosely connected fishing partners. None of them are good at it, by the way. They fished all night, caught nothing. Jesus on the beach preaching. Crowd keeps trying to get closer. He's now backed up to the ocean or the Sea of Galilee and basically says, hey, Peter, you mind if I jump in your boat and, um, and finish the sermon on your boat? No, come on. You're the Messiah. I met you a couple days ago. Come on. He preaches, says amen. Every head bowed and every eye closed. Amy, come play for something. You know, he did the whole thing. <laughs> then he goes one step further. He says, I, I want to repay you. Put out just a little bit more from the shore to where we can get in what we call deep water. Then throw the net over. Now, I know that Jesus... His whole conversation isn't recorded in this text. But this is what Jesus or Peter really says to the Messiah. He says, stay with preaching because we can't fish right now because if you knew anything about fishing, you got to fish at night where they can't see the net. It's daytime. We fished all night. We've tried this area. There's nothing here. But because it's you, you're the Messiah. You ask me, I'll do it. He throws his net over and catches so many fish that it takes all of his partners to bring them ashore. That's when he kneels down on the sand and says, I am a sinful man, not even worthy to be in your presence. You are the Messiah. And he says, Peter, I'm not just changing your name, but I'm going to change your occupation. You're not going to be a fisher of fish. You're going to be a fisher of men. And he's going to go on to preach the day of Pentecost where thousands are saved. But before we get to that, you know, sometimes there's things that happen in this unbelievable living document called the Word of God that we read almost like a story. Like it's a story just to be taught to others of what used to happen. No. Let's take it and make it real today. Pastor Gray. He's sitting back there. I'm going to say some things jokingly, but I'm really mean them on the inside of me, and me and him's going to have to have a conversation after this. I didn't know he knew how to play baseball. <laughs> if you'd have told me, Pastor Gray, basketball coach, I don't even have to have faith for that. Football coach, no faith at all for that. 
I've been here 18 years, played on multiple softball teams. Never once have I seen Pastor Gray pick up a bat. I don't even know if he knows how to play baseball, to be quite honest with you. But when I start this next story, it's Pastor Gray, the baseball coach of eight-year-olds. And again, that doesn't even hardly make any sense to me. But that's the truth. Because on that team was an eight-year-old little boy. And on that team, that little boy's family was kind of in chaos. Had a couple of family members challenged with addictions. Pastor Gray, being who he is, whether he's coaching football, basketball, or even baseball, lives with the character and the dignity of a follower of Christ. Anointed to change the world one soul at a time, just like Andrew. Something that this little boy sees in his coach connects him to Jesus and Pastor Gray leads him to Christ. It goes from the little boy to now peace in the family because all of them are getting saved. It didn't stop there. Pull up the picture, guys. We're going to get it. I know. There it is. Kenny Miller, a husband, a father, and a pastor in Georgia. That one man being a baseball coach reflected so much Jesus. And at the moment that somebody started looking for him, he was able to connect an eight-year-old little boy's hand to the hand of God. Is now being a minister of the gospel every single week. He's a youth pastor and actually gets to preach in the sanctuary today at his local church. He's going to watch this later. So let's put our hands together for Kenny Miller. But then, you know, I thought to myself, I asked the staff this week, you can play something for me, I asked staff this week, I said, who have you led to the Lord other than your family? And then I thought to myself, you know, when did my kids get saved? And Joshua happened to be here at the church. I said, hey, man, when did you get saved? I was expecting him to say, Dad, there was this one sermon that you preached, and you preached Jesus so well, and you connected my heart to the hand of the Father. He said, oh, I got saved in youth camp. Pastor Andy Glover was preaching. I'm like, what? He said, yeah, that's when I got saved. But I asked the staff, I said, don't make it a family member. Who is it that when you brought them to Christ, started changing everything? Carmine, I see you back there in the back. Will you come up to the stage? I named two people. I can do that because I'm the pastor. This guy is one of them. I'm challenged by this jersey. We're praying for complete deliverance. Come on up here. I love it. Well, I can't take credit. Come up here where you can kind of be relaxed. I can't take credit for all that this man has become. 
because this couple right here, Vito and Anne-Marie, Andrews. Because this guy had some struggles when he was going to find Christ. He had some challenges, some bondages. That couple right there for the last 26 plus years have had a house that when you're in transition, trying to free, trying to allow God to free you of some of the bondages and challenges, they let men like Carmine live with them. Andrews. But I had the privilege on a Sunday of preaching when they brought this guy right here to Covenant Community Ministries. And it was in that moment where his life started to change. Change started to fall off. Freedom was experienced. And I think you guys got his picture. You know it's Amy's husband. But Carm, amen. Carmine is a supervising nurse at Health Park. He's a, a husband. And I got the opportunity, Pastor Gray got to officiate his wedding, but I got to officiate the vow renewal. I've been at the hospital the day his three kids are closely thereafter, the day all three of his kids were born. I've seen him grace this pulpit and preach. He's one of our elders. And he leads ARC, our recovery ministry. And you know what his, one of the greatest parts of his sermons are? Especially when he's teaching Ark, that, that message of recovery. He is able to say without any judgment, I'm not judging where you are. I used to be you. But there's a difference between you and me. And it was my connection with Jesus. But then there's another guy. His name's Alex Reale. Amen. You know him as Pastor Alex, but I can't even take all the credit for being the Andrew in his life. See, he had a brother named Mike that was going through some stuff and the group he was a part of come to Covenant Community Ministries and on that day I got to preach and it changed, it, it triggered something inside of Michael. And Michael, just like Andrew, you know what I'm going to tell you, the first person he went and called? His brother. Amen. He said, you, you've got to meet me next Sunday at Covenant Community. You just got to. What were you, 18, 19 years old? 18. With challenges of his own, we could say, right? <laughs> That's the edited version. But on that Sunday, again, I got the privilege of preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. Valuing one soul at a time. 
And he can remember what they sung for praise and worship. He can remember what I preach. I can't remember those things. But somewhere along that sermon, the Holy Spirit spoke to his heart and it transitioned into a decision in his mind. And he said, God's real and I'm going to change my life today. And he began to change his life. Because of Andrew, like Michael, and an Andrew like David that produced a man that preaches the gospel. But he didn't go get, he didn't start, he didn't go from salvation to youth ministry. He went to salvation to going and getting his other brother named Anthony, which they have sit here on this stage and shared their testimony about Anthony's, he's been up front, so I, I, I mean, I, I'm not telling anything he hasn't said from this very stage. He was doing something wrong. It went bad. Dude stabbed him in the heart. Bang. Only reason he's alive is he left the knife in him. And you've got an Andrew named Mike and an Andrew named Alex. And Andrews that are the realities, Alex's parents, they're now praying that God show mercy and compassion during this surgery that Anthony would make it. And you know what? He did. And this Andrew... And the Andrew named Mike, his brother, were able to see Anthony get saved. But it didn't stop there. We got teenagers up there. Thank you for being with us. It was my request that you guys come in here this week because I wanted you to know that sometimes when one soul is changed, it affects the lives of so many others. That this guy is preaching the gospel every single week to your kids and your grandkids. And one day, there's going to be a guy. There's going to be a lady. Everybody knows Billy Graham's name. But I've been to the museum. I bet there isn't five people in this whole room that could tell you who it was that invited Billy Graham to church. The Andrew. He's invisible. Just a friend got saved, got so excited that he invited his friend Billy to a crusade revival service, picked him up in his pickup truck and drove him to the meeting. They say at the museum when we went there that 20 million people have heard the gospel and professed Christ because one guy put a guy named Billy in his back truck and connected him to Jesus. I'm honored to stand on the stage with these two men. Because all I was was an Andrew. And now they're doing so much to bring glory to God. Maybe you're here. And I've told you the edited version of both of these guys' testimony. But maybe you're like us. Maybe you're behind that camera. And you just didn't know if you really were allowed to meet the Messiah, the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. We are three Andrews telling you, not only is he ready to meet you, but we're willing to connect you. 
and place your hand in his hand. And I want you to just bow your heads for a moment as Amy leads us in worship. I'm laying down my life. I'm giving up control. I'm never looking back. I surrender all. I'm living for your glory on the earth. Even when I don't see it, you're working. 
Even when I don't feel that you're working You never stop, you never stop working You never stop, you never stop working Miracle worker, promise keeper Light in the darkness, my God That is who you are You don't give up on me You don't give up on me give up on me cause that is who you are you don't give up on me no you don't give up on me no you don't give up on me cause that is who you are that is who you are that is who you are that is who Pastor Gray back there in the back. I'm going to ask him to come up here to the platform this morning. And I'm going to ask you to stand to your feet. See, Andrew didn't go and get Peter because Peter was going to go win thousands. He went to get Peter because he loved him didn't want to miss the treasure. Pastor Gray didn't lead an eight-year-old on his baseball team to Christ because you thought he was going to be a pastor. He just saw an eight-year-old kid that needed to get saved. And God used you. The Andrew changed his family and his life. This guy helps me carry the load for 16 of my 18 years. We're not coming to ask you to connect to Jesus, whether you're in this building or in your living room, because we think you might be the next Billy Graham. We're coming to you because we love you. And we've met a treasure that's changed our lives. So with every head bowed and every eye closed, and I needed your vision because yours is much better than mine. But close your eyes for a moment. We had three in first service get saved today. All because we just wanted to connect your hand into the hand of Jesus. Now what salvation means, it means that you're more than sorry. Salvation means that you're not going to earn it through your good behavior because none of us could do enough to earn our way to heaven. So the Bible describes salvation as a gift. Gift is something you open and receive, not something you earn. That's a reward. So when you are accepting Christ, what you're doing is you're going past the step of I'm sorry for the condition that I'm in 
and I'm ready to repent. That means that I'm walking this way, but I'm going to turn around and walk the way that Jesus is walking. And I'm going to become a follower of Christ. Are you going to be perfect after you pray? Absolutely not. That's why he was perfect for you. That's where we need his grace, his mercy, and his compassion. So when you mess up, after you raise your hand in just a moment, the enemy is going to say, I told you it wasn't real. But I showed you a picture of a pastor in Georgia and had two men stand here before you to say, no, it is very real. It's just not based upon your frailty. It's based upon his sovereignty. So you don't have to worry about being a hypocrite. The Bible says it's as easy as this, to confess with your mouth and believe in your heart the same thing that Andrew believed. He's the Messiah, the Son of God, sent to take away the sins of the world. He died on a cross to accomplish that and paid a price you could not pay. And then by the authority of the power of the Holy Spirit, he was resurrected from the dead. And now you and I can live free from our sins. The Bible says no condemnation. No guilt, no shame. A fresh start. A moment that changes everything. That's where we are right now. And if you go from being a person we just love to the next Billy Graham, to him be all the glory, the praise, and the honor. So with every head bowed, I'm going to ask you, maybe a part of my 52 years, maybe a part of Pastor Gray's years of experience. No, you're not the eight-year-old on the team today. You're the person that found their way to City Gate. And we want to introduce you to the same Jesus. So nobody's looking around. You're not going to be embarrassed. If you want to connect to Jesus today, I want you to raise your hand high so we can see it. So we, I see that, those hands. Yes, I see the hands in the balcony. I see them up in the balcony. I see hands here on the floor. I see more going up. Thank you. All the way in the back, I see those hands going up. Pastor Greg, what do you think? Eight or ten? Fourteen. I told you I needed your eyes. We're going to pray. And if you raise one of the 14 or 15 people that raised your hand, it's at this moment while we're praying with you that you say, Jesus, I believe in who you are. And I believe that this whole day was a connecting process between an almighty God and my life. And you used a few people to do that. Father, today, right now, as we stand here, we thank you for the 14 or 15 people that raised their hand that we actually saw. Maybe there were others that we didn't even see. Maybe there were others that just didn't even raise their hand but wanted to make this decision in their heart. Father, right now, they are asking you to forgive them of their sins. And you are so much of a God that you can right now instantly forgive them of everything. The Bible literally declares our sins are as far as the east is from the west. There's nothing right now that can challenge the authority of the blood of Jesus. No matter what they're confessing, whatever it means for them to say, I am a sinner in need of a Savior. At this moment, you are drawing them unto you and you just don't make them people that aren't going to hell anymore. You make them family. 
They're your children. They're your sons and your daughters from this day forward. They're never going to walk alone again. They have a team here at CityGate. But God, where we can't be there with them, you're going to be there with them forever and ever and ever. We celebrate the power of salvation right now in Jesus' name. That, Father, that those people that raise their hand no longer have to deal with what they used to do and how they used to be. But right now, the Bible says there's no condemnation and no guilt. There are children of the Most High. And I give you the praise, honor, and glory in Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. I do. Pastor Gray said that he and Shelly were, were the Andrews that led Holly and Joel Torres to the Lord in a principal's office. And now their children are saved and they are the pastors of our young adult ministry because of an Andrew. Amen. Now, we had 14 or 15 people raise their hand today and the Bible says that heaven celebrates that. So there isn't any confusion. We are celebrating what you did today, but we are celebrating more the one that did it for you. So in just a moment, we're going to reflect what heaven is like. Okay. Just think if that was the person you love that raised their hand, they got saved today. They no longer are going to hell. They're going to heaven. So we're going to give Jesus and all of our new family members about 15 seconds of crazy praise. That means go city gate on them. Whistle, yell, put your hands together. Let's do city gate like nobody else. Let's give him 15. 